This morning, I want us to look at the subject, Joyfully Endure Hardship. Joyfully Endure Hardship. And I want us to look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and I'm just going to read the first three verses. This is part one of a three-part mini-series on this subject. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Joyfully endure hardship, that we would patiently endure hardships with joy, knowing that in Christ our Father's love and loyalty is unmatched. Summer is almost here, when, according to Martha and the Vandellas, the time is right for dancing in the street, an invitation across the nation, a chance for folks to meet. Unfortunately, at present, as long as you are here, it does matter what you wear. Once the three degrees top the charts asking, when will I see you again? When will we share precious moments? Will I have to wait forever? Will I have to suffer, suffer, and cry the whole night through? Leave it to Diana Ross and the Supremes to answer. No wind, no rain, no winter's cold can stop me, baby, from getting to you. Ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wild enough to keep me from you. As sure as there are stars above, someday we'll be together. One of the many difficulties and hardships brought on by COVID-19 is separating us from one another. The author of Hebrews in our passage exhorted his audience to endure with joy the hardships they were experiencing in the first century. Jesus had come and accomplished redemption and purified us from our sins. He preeminently transcends everyone and everything preceding his earthly ministry. Moses, the law, the sacrifices, Joshua, the land, the temple, the priesthood, you name it, everything, he transcends it all. However, the majority of the Jewish nation rejected Jesus' ministry because his methods, his personal manifestation, and his manner did not measure up to their misguided expectations. So they rejected him for what they believed Moses said. They rejected him for what they believed Joshua gave them. They rejected him for what they believed about the temple, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, and even themselves. As the author of Hebrews writes, Jesus' followers were being persecuted by the Jews who were pressuring them to come back to the temple, the sacrifices and the ceremonial laws, to Judaism, 
leaving their faith in Jesus behind. Our passage is directly attached to a call to faith in Jesus, to not leave him behind. Chapter 11 catalogs past saints and how they went against the tide of ideas and styles of living because they believed God and his word to be faithful despite appearances, opinions, and human experiences and abilities. They stand, as it were, on the sidelines and at the finish line as we run the race, cheering and urging us to finish the race because they did, and they finished the race because God and His Word are faithful. Their urgent pleadings call us to make the choice to stay in the race and not give up. Make a choice now to get rid of everything that does not directly stir you up and support you to run the race. It could be television shows. It could be attitudes. It could be any sort of activity that keeps you on the sidelines and not in the race itself. Make a choice today to fix your gaze on Jesus and how he endured. It was for the joy set before him. Make a choice today to repent of sin on a daily basis, sin that so easily and so closely sticks to us and besets us and trips us up in this race. Jesus made a choice on what to think. His thoughts were on seeing you in glory, being with you in glory, glorified with him, and with him glorifying God. That was Jesus' mental state and fixation while he hung on the cross. That is what he chose to think about. Jesus is the author of your faith. He gives you faith and inspires you to believe in him without disappointment. Jesus is the perfecter of your faith. He teaches you in the trenches how to endure hardships with joy by choosing to keep your minds in the right place. God keeps you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. The fact that glory awaits, we sing that song a lot, glory awaits you, it awaits all the redeemed, that aids you to endure today's hardships. If not, you must again make a choice to consider Jesus. We must ask God to restore to us the joy of his salvation. Christians get depressed, but being glorified one day helps drive today's clouds away. Jesus made a choice to despise the shame of the cross, and so must you. Jesus chose not to dwell in his thoughts on the shame and pain of the cross. We too must make that choice not to dwell on the virus or any of the consequences or effects of the virus. How can we, when pain and hardships are so great, the loss of jobs and other things, the loss of family members? How can we not think about these things? God's Word is powerful, more powerful than your pain, 
more powerful than your strains and what you complain about, more powerful than your stress. I have heard many Christians say something to the effect that their thoughts and feelings just take over. They rush in and they have no control. As down-to-earth as these sentiments might sound, they are wholly unbiblical. You are in control of your thoughts and feelings, especially if you are a Christian. One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. God told Cain, who was of the devil, that his feelings and thoughts of depression grew out of his unfaithful and irreverent actions, which in turn were a product of his unbelief in God. But for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell, which is a euphemism for him becoming depressed emotionally. The Lord said to Cain, If you do well, will there not be a lifting up of your face, which means a removal of depression, a a, a lightening of the emotion. Even if you are depressed because of someone else's sin or someone else's hardship, your thoughts and feelings can still be transformed by God's word and promises. Again, God will keep you in perfect peace. He will keep you in perfect shalom, perfect well-being when your mind is stayed on Him. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This command to make a choice, to think straight, is directly attached to the promise that the God of peace will be with you. God whose peace transcends your understanding and his peace that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus' humble-minded, sacrificial, sin-bearing service, he is now seated on the throne at God's right hand, our passage says. He has been vindicated. God tells us to consider him again, specifically how he endured such opposition, such hardship against himself from sinners. Jesus is pure, holy, spotless, blameless, perfect. The list of good goes on and on. Yet he took so much irreverent opposition from hell-deserving, lawless, perverted, rebellious people. And he never lost his cool. Jesus has an everlasting, unending, immeasurable reservoir of cool. Seriously, because he endured all the sinful opposition without sin, he is able to help you. The writer of Hebrews does not tell us how Jesus endured so much opposition to make us feel bad. He tells us that so that we would run to Jesus for help. He is able not only to sympathize with you and all your weaknesses and hardships, but also he is able to graciously give you from his everlasting reservoir grace and mercy sufficient to help you in your time of weakness and need. Some of you get depressed because you are trying to be your own savior. God calls us to rejoice in the midst of suffering hardships. 
that seems unfeeling, irrational, and unsympathetic. Actually, if you don't rejoice, you are the one who is unfeeling, irrational, and unsympathetic towards God for not thinking right about God. God is bigger than your problems and wants you to depend on Him like children. But sometimes we'd rather be our own Savior, find something to complain about, than take pride in fixing it ourselves rather than lose ourselves rejoicing in the sufficiencies of God. Have you ever met someone or are you that someone that always sees the hole in the middle of the donut? Always sees the problem and you call it the spiritual gift of discernment or the spiritual gift of wisdom or the spiritual gift of some type of judgment or whatever it might be. You're just being cautious. You're just being preventive. But part of what's going on there is a failure to rejoice in the Lord, a failure to trust in Him. You're always on edge, feeling like everything depends on you and the decision that you're going to make. Sometimes we'd rather be our own Savior. We don't want to be blindsided or caught off guard. By all means, we we want to prevent problems and be prepared. There is nothing wrong with any of these things. But if they lead you to self-reliance and away from rejoicing in the Lord of your salvation and in His sufficiencies and realizing that you can't do anything apart from Jesus, you are trying to save yourself and not depending on God to do the saving. God did not retire. He is not looking for a replacement or a substitute. If you want to stop feeling weary and faint in your soul, you must make some choices. Number one, you must choose to think about how God faithfully supported past believers till they completed the race. They were not perfect, just like you are not perfect, and yet God faithfully brought them to the end of the race. Number two, you must choose to get rid of everything in your life that does not directly help you run this race. Number three, you must choose to daily repent of sin that by definition always throws you off course in this race. Number four, you must choose to fix your thoughts on Jesus, whose person and life inspires you to run in faith this race. Number five, you must choose to fix your thoughts on the future glory. The very thing that gave Jesus joy must give you joy in your hardships. Number six, you must choose to stop fixing your thoughts on the things that bring despair. Rather, despise these things. Count them of no effect when compared to the glory that shall be. That's what Paul said in another place in Romans chapter 8. He didn't even consider it worth complaining or dealing with the 
with the troubles of the world in light of the glory that was to be revealed. They don't even compare with that glory. Number seven, you must choose to think humbly how your opponents have to deal with your sins and how you both are in need of Jesus. Sometimes we think about the opposition, whatever it might be, that's against us, and we fail to consider the fact that we're the opposition for someone else. Sometimes our behavior is so negative against others. Number eight, we must choose to think about how the sinful opposition Jesus endured without sinning and the reservoir of grace and mercy he now has to help you. Jesus joyfully endured the cross because he knew that hardship of hardships, that's what the cross is, the hardship of hardships, would not last forever. He knew it would end, and it would end well for him and for you. Do you think it's a cop-out to consider glory in view of the present circumstances? Well, in Jesus' thought life, that was the thing to think about in light of the present struggles and difficulties. It was thinking about glory. It was thinking about heaven. That's what gave him the grace to endure. It's not a cop-out at all. It's the way to deal with the present struggles. Dealing with the many daily hardships because of this virus or because you don't believe it's a serious and you have to deal with the rest of us who take a bath in Lysol every night. Dealing in either way, you look at it, it can be wearying and can make you faint in the race, tempting you to give up by either becoming depressed or depraved. Whatever the case may be, you have got to keep your mind on Jesus and how he joyfully handled sufferings, hardships, and opponents because of the glory set before him. We celebrate Jesus. He never flinched in the face of opposition and the worst kind of suffering possible. He kept his cool. This fact calls you to praise, and it calls you to prayer. You are not Jesus. You cannot endure like him, apart from him. But you can call on him and receive power, grace, mercy, strength, and so much more at a level you never knew existed. The joy of the Lord is your strength. His joy was you in glory, glorified, glorifying God with him. That joy gives you strength. Jesus' eternal power is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, with Paul, we say, I will boast all the more gladly on my weaknesses so that the power of of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Let's together come boldly to his throne of grace and receive that promised grace and mercy we need and that he is so glad to give. God bless you and keep you.